today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Today in the United States of America in 2014, there's all kinds of complaints and disagreements about our current political leadership. We look at the 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 the, 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 the judgments that are going down so far, so far away from anything that we uh, believe right and, and moral, and yet it seems like our government day by day by day is continuing to slip this or go down this slippery course of moving further and further and further away from anything that seems to be morally right, particularly biblically right. We are living in an age of darkness. Good is called evil and evil is called good. We are considered intolerant if we express any sort of disagreement about evil. Not being fully supportive of other people's sin makes us a bullseye for the world. Pastor David wants to encourage us to stay strong. If we prepare ourselves with the full armor of God, we can make it through. This doesn't mean that we'll come through unscathed, but keeping eternity in perspective makes the fight totally worth it. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 2 with today's edition of The Open Word. faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. I don't see anything here at all, except the Lord's encouragement to this church. He's, he's not slapping them. He's not saying, hey, you guys are really failing, and so I'm going to send persecution on you to straighten you up. As a matter of fact, this church... Smyrna and the Church of Philadelphia, they're the only two churches that get a good report in all of the seven. And yet both of them are going through stuff. Beloved, any time that you think that you're going through stuff, I, I agree. You need to do that personal check. Number one, Lord, am, am, am I out of your will? Am I walking in a way that's not pleasing to you and you are simply using this to kind of gently or sometimes not so gently get me back in line? Or are you doing this to, again, in, in my life to strengthen me, to deepen my commitment to you, my, 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 my trust in you? Perhaps, Lord, it's simply as a testimony of you in the lives, even of your children, that even through stuff that's hard, stuff that's inconvenient, stuff that's unpleasant because of our great love for you, will continue faithful. Isn't that what happened with Job? He said, hey, the only reason Job's serving you is because you're good to him. What happens when he's not good to you? And God says, hey, go ahead. You know, there are times in my life that I hope that God forgets my name. I'm just saying. But Job, even through all of that, God showed him the greatness of his glory. And God blessed him even more. 
at the end. Jesus said that in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And speaking of the Christian life, Paul declares to the Romans in Romans chapter 5, he says, we also glory in tribulate Glory in tribulations? Really, Paul? How in the world can you glory in tribulations? I believe because Paul had grown, Paul had matured in his life to that point of understanding. We glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character Hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So Paul is saying, yeah, you know what? We're going to go through tribulation. That's okay. That's okay. Because I know God is doing a greater work and I'm okay for that. How can you be okay for that? How can we really stand in a time of stress, trial, persecution in our life? And be okay with that. It's an honest question. And I think the only way that we can do that is recognizing the greatness of the sovereignty of Almighty God. That He is much greater than my present reality. And I don't know what tomorrow is. And I don't know how He's going to use this thing in my life right now to glorify Himself even greater. And to strengthen me, and to draw me even closer to him. James tells us, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Are you kidding me? Count it all joy when you fall into trials. Knowing, and again, this is that understanding of the sovereignty of God, that my present reality isn't the totality of all that God is doing. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect way, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In this passage, he says you're going to have tribulation for 10 days. You know, you look at that and you think, well, 10 days, hey, I can handle 10 days, man. I've been in tribulation for five years. Are you kidding me? (laughs) What does he mean by 10 days? Well, when you when you look at the commentators on this, they are literally and truly, they are all over the map in understanding what, what 10 days means. <coughs> Excuse me. David Guzik gathered a lot of the uh, different commentators, made it a lot easier for me. I didn't have to go search them. Some of them think that John really means 10 years of persecution. He says 10 days, but he really means 10 years. Well, according to Adam Clark, As the days in this book are what is commonly called prophetic days, each answering to a year, the ten years of tribulation may denote ten years of persecution. This was precisely the duration of the persecution under Diocletian, during which the Asiatic churches were grievously afflicted. Others speak of the reign of ten different Roman emperors. John Wolvard's commentary says the first was under Nero, the second Domitian, the third Trajan, the fourth Adrian or Hadrian, the fifth was Septimus Severus, the sixth was Maximin, the seventh was Decius, the eighth was Valerian, the ninth was Aurelian, and the tenth was Diocletian. 
And that was just before, and that was in uh, 284, that was just before the legalizing. So for all of those years, all of those Caesars, they were under persecution. Some, though, they, they take the hours, or they change the days to hours, and they really try to make some stuff fit. Adam Poole writes, Others observe that in 10 days you have, here's a question for all you math experts, in 10 days, how many hours do you have? 240, right? Well, it turns out that 240 would make up the number of years from, so you take the days, change them into hours, take the hours, make them years. So you got 240 years, and that's the number of years from 85 AD when the the second persecution began, which was uh, about the time when John was writing also, all the way to the time of 325 when all the persecutions totally ceased. So uh, I think that's really stretching the thing myself. I personally kind of lean toward William Barclay's idea. The expression of 10 days is not necessarily to be taken literally, but it's just a normal Greek expression of a short time. In other words, it's not going to be a long time. There's going to be an end to it. Now, it could be 10 days, but that, for me, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. When we look at this 10 days, we see a similar kind of thing even in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Daniel, those times and issues and declarations of 10 days and different things. So it's it's not un, unheard of to just state that 10 days is just a declaration of time. But their persecution was going to be limited to a certain time frame. And then it would be an end to it. So Jesus goes on to tell the church in Smyrna, in verse 10, he says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. This crown was a victor's crown, the Stephanus. It's the, the one that was made of a, a, a vines or reeds that, that went around their head. It was, it was a crown that was given to, to those that had run the race and had won, who had done the good job and the celebration of their, their ability to do what they did. That was the victor's crown. This is, this is a crown that's not given to just those that are, that are martyred either. As James tells us in James chapter one, he says, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So it's not just being martyred. It's also just for those who have run well, endured temptation. But for those that were martyred in their faith, there was a special blessing that was given by the Lord Jesus. Around the time frame of 165 A.D., this is a while after John's writing here, about 70 years or so, Bishop Polycarp suffered martyrdom. He was an old man. He was 86 years old at that point in time. In reading from the martyrdom of Polycarp, which was written only one year after he was martyred, so you, I think that uh, we, when we read it, there's a lot of things we can hold to that sounds like probably the true story. But anyway, in the writing of the martyrdom of Polycarp, we find the following. All the martyrdoms which God allowed to happen were blessed and noble. They were whipped to shreds till their veins and their arteries were exposed and still endured patiently, while even those that stood by cried for them. They had such courage that none of them let out a sigh or a groan, 
proving when they suffered such torments that they were absent from their bodies, or rather that the Lord then stood by them, talked with them, comforted them. By the grace of Christ, they despised all the cruelties of the world, redeeming themselves for eternal punishment by the suffering of a single hour. The fire of their savage executioners appeared cool to them because they fixed their eyes on their escape from the eternal unquenchable fire and the good things promised to those who endure, things which ear has not heard, nor eye seen, nor the human heart imagined but was revealed to them by the Lord. In the same way, those who were condemned to the wild beast endured dreadful torture. Some were stretched out on beds of spikes. Others were subjected to all kinds of torments, all in the devil's attempt to make them deny Christ. In the midst of this was Polycarp. Polycarp was happy to stay in the city, but eventually he was persuaded to leave the city, staying with friends in the nearby countryside. Three days before he was arrested, while he was praying, he had a vision of the pillow that was under his head bursting into flames. He said prophetically to those that were with him, I will be burnt alive. When the authorities and the horsemen came at supper time on Friday with their usual weapons, as if coming out against a robber, They found him lying down in the upper room of a cottage. He could have escaped, but he refused, saying, God's will be done. And when he heard that they had come, he went down and spoke with them. They were amazed at his age and his steadfastness. And some of them said, why did we go to so much trouble to capture an old man like this? And immediately Polycarp called for food and drink for them. And asked for an hour to pray uninterrupted before he would leave with them. They agreed, and he stood and prayed, so full of the grace of God that he could not stop for two hours. The men were astonished, and many of them regretted coming to arrest such a godly and venerable an old man. When he finished praying, they put him on a donkey and took him into the city. When the crowd heard that Polycarp had been captured, there was an uproar. The proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp. On hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him to apostatize, saying, Have respect for your old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, Down with the atheists. Polycarp looked grimly at all the wicked multitude in the auditorium. And as he gestured toward them, he said, down with the atheists. Swear, urged the proconsul. Reproach Christ, and I will set you free. And one of Polycarp's most famous sayings, he declares, 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Well, I have wild animals here, the proconsul said. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Call them, Polycarp replied. It's unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. If you despise the animals, I will have you burned. You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished. Yet you know nothing of the fire of this coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. 
Well, the crowd collected the wood and bundles of sticks from the shops and the public baths. The Jews, as usual, were were keen to help. When the pile was ready, Polycarp took off his outer clothes. He undid his belt and took off his sandals. And when they went to fix him with nails, to nail him to the post, he said, leave me as I am, for he that gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me not to struggle without the help of your nails. So they simply bound him with his hands behind him, ready to be an acceptable burnt offering to God. And he looked up to heaven and began praying. Then the fire was lit and the flame blazed furiously. We who were, we who were privileged to witness, we who were privileged to witness it saw a great miracle. And this is why we have persevered to tell the story. The fire shaped itself into the form of an arch, like the sail of a ship, and then when filled with the wind and formed a circle around the body of the martyr. Inside it, he looked not like flesh that's burnt, but like bread that is baked or gold or silver glowing in the furnace. And we smelt a sweet scent like frankincense, frankincense or some such precious spices. Eventually, when those wicked men saw that his body could not be consumed by the fire, they commanded an executioner to pierce him through with a dagger. Such was the martyrdom Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna. Jesus ends this in verse 11. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Most everybody in here has two ears. Just check that. Some of you I can't see, but I think most of you have two ears. I don't think this message is just to Smyrna. I believe it's to the church. If you have ears to hear, be able to hear what the Spirit says. We look at the fact that for us today in the United States of America in 2014, and there's all kinds of complaints and disagreements about our current political leadership. We look at the... the, 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 the the, the judgments that are going down so far, so far away from anything that we uh, believe right and, and moral, and yet it seems like our government day by day by day is continuing to slip this or go down this slippery course of moving further and further and further away from anything that seems to be morally right, particularly biblically right. Do we fret and fuss by this? Do we pout and stomp our feet because they're not doing what I want them to do? Or do we simply look and understand, you know what? I think this is getting closer and closer every day. That in the last days, perilous times are going to come. Men are going to be lovers of themselves, proud, blasphemers, boasters, disobedient to parents. And on and on it goes. In the last days... Jesus says it's going to be like the days of Noah. There was a lot of wickedness in the days of Noah. I think we've got a ways to go till we get there, but uh, I think we're getting closer and closer when everything becomes legal. Everything wrong becomes legal. Everything right becomes illegal. I believe the Bible speaks something about that. When they say good is evil and evil is good, you know that you've got some problems going on within your culture. Our culture right now is is is... is is on a fast track to destruction. So what do we do? Pass another law? I don't think another law is going to cut it. 
I think the difference is going to be is would Christians really become Christians? When we love our enemies, when we care for others, when we're not trying to have our way done, but realize, man, I'm crucified in Christ. I'm dead to the things of the world. I want Christ to live in me. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that there are some things that we should do. I understand that. But I also know that passing a law, any law, is not going to change our culture. Our culture is only going to be changed by a spiritual revival. And that spiritual revival happens one at a time, more often than not. Can it start with a little church in Casa Grande? Yeah, absolutely it can. If we get serious about who we are in Christ and how we ought to be living our lives, whether it be as a senior citizen or as a youth, that we really understand what it means to serve Jesus Christ, to love him with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength, everything that we are. Do you think that would change? Let me back up a minute. If we as individuals, determined as individuals, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, if we really and truly did that, do you think it would change our families? I guarantee you it would change us individually, but I believe it would change our families too. If within our families, mom and dad, the kids really decided this thing about Jesus is real and true. And I don't want to be found wanting at the end of the day. I, I, want, I want my life to count for him now. I, I want to gain that crown of life. I want to be serious in my walk with him. Then you know what? Uh, kids are going to be obedient to parents. Amen? Amen. Amen. But husbands are going to love their wives. And wives are going to love their husbands. And there's going to be forgiveness. And there's going to be, again, that willingness to serve each other. And when families change, do you think that as families begin to change, that a community could change? I believe very much so. Because as we go out in the community with that kind of a change in our life, I believe that it's going to impact the world that we involved in. But if we are stealth Christians, have you ever heard that term, stealth Christian? I just kind of sneak through life. Don't let anybody know that I'm here. If we're stealth Christians, we will never impact anyone. I believe in these days, in these last days, I started to say we need to wear our Christianity bold and proud. But then somebody would say, well, we'll get the T-shirts. But that's that's not what I'm saying, okay? We need to believe, be believers Bold and proud. We need to express the reality of love, compassion, and care for the lost. We need to be people who are committed to serve our Lord, our King, to, uh, again, look throughout the body of Christ, and when we see a brother or sister who's struggling, we who are, quote-unquote, spiritual, we need to assist that brother and sister to lift them up. We need to be praying for each other, be concerned for each other. We need to, again, be willing to get out of our comfort zone to be able to touch the hearts and lives of the people that are around us. Open our hearts, change us from within. 
the letters to the churches found in Revelation 2 and 3 repeat the phrase, to the one who overcomes, followed with a promise centered in God's goodness to his people. What does overcoming look like for you today? Maybe it's just getting up in the morning, getting dressed, and going out into life. Maybe it's continuing to sing his praises even through a tough circumstance. Maybe overcoming today is holding on to that small hope that tomorrow can be a better day in your marriage. Take some time today to check out those promises, remembering to hold on to Jesus because he is our hope. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. We know that life is tough, but doing life in community can make even the hardest situation more bearable. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with an invitation for you. Hey, if you're in the Casa Grande area and you're looking for a church to attend, I'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. At 6.30 p.m., we meet on Wednesday evenings and Saturday evenings. You can find directions and a little more about the church by visiting theopenword.com. Follow the links at the bottom of the page to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I'm excited to have you be a part of our time of Bible study and fellowship. Our website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Information about the church is at the bottom of that page, the link for Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Thanks, Pastor David. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Pastor David still has much to share, though, so be sure to tune in again to continue walking verse by verse through Revelation. That's right here on The Open Word. Make a